Hello and welcome to Null Pointers with your hosts, Mark, Stephen, and Gerald. And today we will be talking about automated testing. But before we get to our topic, as it is traditional on this channel, we will be talking about some news. And I have seen the schedule of the .NET Conf, which will be hosted online, is now online. Have you guys been able to check it out? No. That was a quick answer. <laughs> we all know you love checking out schedules. That's true. I love checking out schedules. I scroll with them up and down and up and down. But I didn't see your name on there, Mark. What happened? Well, I should have perhaps submitted a session to get in there. That is usually how it works. Yeah, if you don't try, you can't get in. I, I don't know. I just, I, I missed that deadline as so many other things. Uh, I don't know what the excuse should be. I mean, we are mainly working from home, so you got actually extra time without the commute. But yeah, somehow time still goes by. I have to agree. Time goes by very quickly. I, I have glanced at the schedule at best um there's quite some people on there that are interesting speakers to uh, to listen to so depending on my own situation at that point i'll probably tune in for a few of those i mean it's it starts like i think in our afternoon right so it's for us it's all evening stuff yeah, I see the schedule all lists in PT. I don't know where that is, but also in UTC. So it starts at, well, the first day starts at 4 p.m. UTC and the second day at 5 UTC. So that's give or take one hour. I always get confused. But yeah, that's like whenever we start dinner over here. So you could just, you know, get a little plate, put that on your lap and put on some .NET Conf. And pull an all-nighter. Yeah, sounds delicious. Yeah, so it seems a uh, PT, by the way, specific time, Gerald. Just thank next you. Time. Ah, you're welcome. Yeah, no, I mean UTC plus one. I think we have then the summertime behind us. Uh, yeah, but it, it looks interesting. I think from nine to five o'clock Pacific time. So yeah, there there are the sessions by the .NET team, and then from five o'clock in the evening afternoon until nearly midnight on the second day is uh, community sessions and the third day will be uh, a full day of community sessions so i think there's a lot of great things packed in there and as you said there are some really cool speakers lined up so if you're not having anything on your schedule between november 10th until november 12th i would recommend checking it out I'm actually scrolling over it right now, and there's one session migrating a Windows Form application to Blazor. Well, I mean, we did a episode last week on Blazor and WebAssembly. So, you know, taking WinForms to Blazor, that's, that's just crazy. So, you know, that's definitely a session that you should check out. It's in the middle of the night here, 2.30 a.m. Go check it out. Worth staying <laughs> up for. Yep, or getting up for, you know. And I've seen that uh, our good friend of the show, Clifford, is giving a 
talk about Xamarin mobile apps and a 3D printed bionic hand. That sounds interesting for sure. Sounds RoboCop. Here is Kodrina. She did a session on the exam expert day and she's talking about cross-platform applications with Xamarin forms. Oh my gosh, this just keeps getting better and better. And it's three days. Oh my gosh, I thought it was just two days. I'm going to plan some time off. Sounds like we have to book a mini vacation, explain to our significant others why we'll be staying up all night like young teenagers and get all this great content in. By then, I hope I have a new small teenager in the making. What? <laughs> <That'll> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> time flies, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, I, I said it at the start. Time goes so fast. <laughs> Horrible. Not even born yet. Teenager in November. All right, cool. Is that how it works now? Yes. Yeah, speaking about time flying by, should we write automated tests? What are your thoughts on this, Stephen? No, because it takes too much time. So, no, in all seriousness, should you write automated tests? That's a good one. I typically find out that as a developer, you start with all good intentions. You want to make those. You want to write those tests. And a few sprints in, all of the features are done. None of the automated tests are done. It probably doesn't happen like that everywhere or in each project. But I tend to hear and, and see that happen quite a lot, to be honest. Where all good intentions aside, it typically is like, unless you, you do test-driven development where you just start with the test, it becomes a bit of an afterthought quite quickly deadlines approach and and those are usually the first thing that things that get cut from the the end product which is a shame because it shouldn't be but that yeah that's just my most recent few experiences with it but you know on the other hand if you have a lot of tests that you well is there really a thing that called a manual test i mean of course you could do some manual tests but i would like to automate as much as possible right so but it's it's like you say Stephen. it's with testing in general the first thing that that goes whenever um, time becomes critical it's like testing you know pff, it works right so i can click through these things and uh, it seems to work okay so let's just skip it for now um, especially when i think that happens a lot where you work on like projects or in a consultancy business where you're not working on an actual product and i think even if you are working on an actual product but i think um, then there might be a bigger difference so yeah it's it's definitely that and you know i i think you really need to enjoy writing tests or creating tests or whatever you do with them i'm not one of those people apparently because you know it's also the first thing that i tend to forget while i do very much see the importance and especially now with like bigger products that i'm i'm working on right now and i'm definitely being forced to uh create some more tests and also it can really help you it can help for a lot of things and one of the first and foremost things is you know to keep checks on your control because uh on your quality sorry because whenever you start changing code and your tests still um, succeed then you know that you didn't break anything unless your tests are also horrible right so that's one thing and uh, the other thing is that it can really help you speed up your development cycle as well uh, because I'm working on the whole code spaces thing now and uh, well you might imagine that that is a big environment to spin up um, so you know it can be really helpful to first flesh out those uh, methods and that that functionality that you're working on with a couple of tests before you actually start releasing it in the wild and spin up a full development environment so um, it has definitely a lot of advantages and cool stuff that you can do with it but I don't know. It's it's something that you very easily well forget 
is what we like to do, but uh, something that you don't get around to. Yeah, I think one one part is is getting around to it, and the other one is just like um, when you have code in the wild, you will get bug reports, and those bug reports will lead you to write maybe some more tests. And speaking as of experience, it's really hard to get the line right of how many tests will I write up in advance versus how many tests will I write uh, once maybe some bugs strike in. I mean, ideally, we never have any bugs in our code, but reality just shows that we tend to forget stuff as humans. And most of the code that I'm working on is not so mission critical that I have to so thoroughly test it in any circumstance to ensure that nothing goes wrong. But I'm a person that actually likes writing tests. I'll put that on the record. The first thing that I will start to admit is writing comments in code. So that's there. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, writing tests, it just gives me a bit of safety. Um, I recently worked once on a project where I thought, Mark, do you really need all those tests? And I just did not write them. And that really came to bite me in the end. You mentioned it before. You write your code, you test it manually. It doesn't really take that much time. Maybe it's even quicker than writing the test. But then the app evolves and you make changes and suddenly your code starts breaking at points which you did not expect that it would break. And would I have written more automated tests? Chances would have been actually quite good that I would have caught those regression bugs while developing and not um, while testing it out in the wild, uh, stuff like that. So I think... Writing tests uh, can make a lot of sense. And I think if you do not have the time to write tests, or at least ensure that you got a good manual testing practice in place to catch all the bugs. But that's the thing, right? Like the manual test, I remember at some customer that I've worked where we would just do manual testing with basically the whole, well, not even just the software development part, but also like the other part of the company where we would just spend one or maybe two days going through manual scripts to see if it all worked that is just costing so much effort and money and people you know people are really bad at like that repetitive stuff right so those people are going to make mistakes as well so they're going to miss something or they're going to not know what is actually the expected outcome at some point so you know that is something you want to have a couple of things you want to have like predictable results uh, which means you have to have a predictable data set that you run all these things on basically all the things need to be the same in your environment except the code that you're running on it because you know whenever you change things you want to know that you that you didn't break anything else in the process right so that's the whole thing well the most important thing of testing basically so whenever you can automate that in in what way whatever way you can then i think you should do that and yeah it's it's kind of funny that people are not investing like people on on any level i mean sometimes you're just in a position as a developer where you do not have the influence to say i'm just gonna do this um and you can maybe hear me smack on the table because that's what you do whenever you are angry and make a statement but so you know but from a manager perspective or maybe even the people making the most money out of this you should want this because this will will help you keep the quality and um, see what is happening with your product so it's it's really funny that it doesn't happen more true it is actually quite ironic that some people are against tests who would profit maybe the most from it so if a manager thinks that tests are wasting his time and money and budget he might be right if everyone would be writing perfect code but since that is not the case uh your the errors in the code they will pop up at a certain time and the longer you wait until you will detect the error uh, from the point that it was originally written 
the more expensive it will usually become for the developers or the people involved to remember what is this code doing? How is this working? Oh, oh, yeah, in this circumstance, yeah, now this this will not work. Oh, a bug, okay, fix, bug, fix, put it in, and that cycle can take very long if the bug pops up in the field, especially if you get these great bug reports like app broken doesn't work. I mean, yeah, then you're looking for the needle in the haystack and tests can help you making certain parts like more secure. I mean, if we look at tests, there are different cases of tests. Now we have separated them into manual tests and automated tests, but we can split up the automated tests even further. So at the smallest level, you got unit tests. So with unit tests, you usually test pure logic. So if you got some important business logic, uh, maybe some pricing calculation or, or anything like that, you could or you would usually write a unit test to validate that that logic is running correctly. Now, if you that means that you know that logic part, it, it does as it should in the specs, but you don't really know how the surrounding bits will if, if those are working correctly and for those you could then start writing integration tests so then you have multiple components that talk together and at the end level you can write system tests or, or ui tests uh if you if you have a graphical uh, piece and with those you then test the entire system the more you test or the higher up you go in the level the more needle in the haystack issue it will get again for you because if an error occurs in a test you might not know where exactly it happens but if you follow through the steps it also it always means you'll be able to if, if an error occurs in in production or while doing your integration you will know that it will be usually a configuration issue or it will be at the at the edge of your code when you're integrating with the other system and that can give you great confidence. Now, I personally, I don't think you will ever get rid of manual tests, especially we three, we all come from the mobile space. And I've been in projects where we used crowd testing. I don't know. Did you did you guys ever do something like that? My apps actually just went through an actual QA team, basically. So just people just having the thing in hand and doing manual testing, most of it. So the, the crowd testing you mentioned is, is is that like an open beta kind of thing or what should I think of in this case? Well, it was a, I would have to Google it, but it was a company and they, they literally, they signed up students or like freelancers if you want, um, and you could release them your app. And then you could also give them some objectives, like which areas of the app to test. And the really great thing about that is you get like really tests out in the wild. So you get actual human beings testing your app. So it's not a test script, always doing the same stuff. So they will do awkward stuff. Um, they might have a bad uh, network connection. They they might have a really strange phone or a interesting installation set up off the phone. So what you usually get is you get a lot more of that noisy environment, which your users usually will be using your app in. Yeah, and, and I can imagine typically those students don't really know all the ins and outs of the business processes behind what your app is doing, whereas a, a QA team would probably know most of, these, most of these processes. So they're really basically just going in blind. That could wreck some things you thought never could be wrecked. Yeah, hammering all the buttons, doing stuff like that. I know it's not like a surgical approach where you really try to test a feature and stuff like that, but... Having that kind of test was actually really interesting when, when we did it because you saw how your app will be used out in the wild. And um, I, I worked together with a project manager once and that guy, he always had the worst mobile network connection you could imagine on his phone. I don't know how he managed to do it, but he found so many strange freakish bugs that are really hard to simulate. Or like if you wanted to simulate that, I think the amount of time you would have had to invest 
into writing and automated tests like that, I don't think we would ever have gotten that value back. Yeah, that's the thing. Those are really valuable because, uh, you know, and that's that's the other thing, right? Because we already mentioned that, like, uh, I think you said it, Mark, like whenever your app is out in the wild, well, I'm just going to stick with apps, but it also works for like whatever application you're building, web application, desktop application, um, it's so hard to get good feedback from your users, right? Because they will, um, and maybe sometimes not even willingly, but they will just go, it doesn't work, period. And it's so hard to get useful information out of these actual users, depending on who your target audience is. And again, most of the time, they're not doing it willingly. They're not cooperating um, like that because they simply do not know what to look for, which is makes total sense, right? But in other cases, you know, people are just not, they say like, I expect this to work. I'm not going to invest any time in testing this for you. You should have done that already, blah, blah, which is of course not very nice if you expect people to fix problems for you. Um, I would say that you should be inclined to uh, maybe uh, cooperate a little bit. Uh, But, you know, so that's something very useful with this crowd testing. I didn't actually, I mean, Sure, everything that you can think of exists, but uh, I, I didn't really know it in this particular case. Um, so yeah, and you have this like testing pyramid, right? Which is basically like, what is that? Maslow's pyramid, where you have like the layers of uh, things that you need in your life before you can start building the next layer. So you have unit tests, you have your integration tests, the system tests, which basically do the end-to-end ones. And then some manual testing. Is there is there any other weird form of testing that we might have forgotten here? Maybe a separate branch altogether, like with the whole um, security testing, right? Then you have penetration tests and and I don't know what kind of tests they, they even do. But uh, so the, the whole testing thing is like very big, right? Um, so also, the, I think the hard thing is like to how to determine what kind of tests are right for you. I mean, there's no project which is going to do all the tests right because then you would need to have a major budget and simply not all projects or products are um, suitable for all the kind of tests. And even if you have decided like, okay, this is my right amount of testing, how do you how do you keep track of your tests? So there's test coverage, right? Which will indicate how much of your code is is covered by by your tests. Is that something that is useful to know? It's pretty useful to know because it uh, it pretty much tells you which paths within your app are covered by a test. So if you have missing paths, that those are potential scenarios where something could go wrong that you well never knew about. Obviously, you can you can still patch that up with a test, but that doesn't mean you capture all the scenarios that can happen there. It just tells you that path is covered. So yeah, it, it it tells you definitely something, but in and of itself, it's not really a metric to strive for, I suppose. At least I have never achieved 100% test coverage. There's always something somewhere that is either hard to test um, because it, it's dependent on other stuff that is not easily mockable or stuff like that. So I, I wouldn't strive for that metric alone. But yeah, if if you can get that pretty high without too much effort, then definitely go for it. Yeah, so I think 100% like test coverage is is like impossible, right? I mean, for certain areas in your code, probably yes, but not everything because there is just this amount of boilerplate code or just things passing through one layer to another, which doesn't have any use for, for any kind of actual testing, right? So um, 100% is, is not something that you should definitely strive for depending on the, the area you're looking at, I think. 
For me, a test coverage, I think it's a, a good metric to have because it shows you how much code is automatically executed during tests. But as you have already mentioned, I don't think it's a really good quality meter. I mean, for one, only because your test executes a part of the code, it does not mean it actually also validates that it's run correctly. So I've seen like these vanity metrics, how teams try to up and up and up their, their test coverage. And in the end, they write these really strange tests that are like super brittle or that just execute some part of the code, but more for that it has been executed and less for when is this thing executed and is the code then reacting properly, stuff like that, which I think is a more sensible approach when you think about tests or like what is a, a good test. We also stated before, only because you have a high test coverage, um, some scenarios might not be covered by that. So I think you can test really well logical execution like is one plus one equals two that maybe the most stupid example that we have had on this podcast up to now but those things you can test really easily but testing timing issues between threads if they are correctly that's super tough to do in an automated fashion because it could be that you have a once in a lifetime funny running threads or funny internet connection uh, which will produce uh, an error that you did not expect before. And I think you can prevent certain scenarios with a good architecture that you handle those unsecure areas, but testing those in an automated fashion, that can be quite tough. Another thing that I like to look at it, uh, if, if it comes down to test coverage is those logical modules, like the parts of the code, which actually just contain pure business logic, how are they tested? And I think there you can see, are those parts covered? But you still will have to have a look at the tests and see how are those tests developed. Do you guys recommend any development practices around testing? Well, I know you have like the test-driven development. So there you basically start writing tests before you write anything else. Um, so it's it's basically the opposite of what you are probably used to doing. But I don't really have any hands-on experience with that. I don't know why. I mean, it's very easy basically to start with that, right? You just do not start writing any code, but instead you start writing um, tests. And from there you are going to... The, the idea behind it is to think about basically how you should test things and that uh, mindset will automatically make you think about uh, what the result should be or what is a right method signature. So what should be the inputs, what should be the outputs, and uh, also like what should be the edge cases. So do I expect an exception from this or do I expect something to fall back gracefully or uh, whatever, what happens when I put some weird input in there? So, you know, it actually can be very useful, I think, if that is your cup of tea. Uh, but I've never really brought it into practice. Testing and development, that's, a, that's an interesting topic. I remember many years ago, uh, I actually tried out test-driven development and I kind of liked it. Sort of sharpens your brain into how to write tests that does not have any dependencies inside of it. So for example, if you write code that executes at a certain date or time, yeah, a certain time during the day, testing that can be challenging if the code inside has got a hardwired reference to daytime now or daytime UTC now. But if you inject the time and there are various patterns out there how you can do that into that class. You can actually simulate like, okay, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. The locks should run. They run. 
did the correct methods get invoked? Uh, and 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 you can you can untest those things. Where it gets a bit fringy with test-driven developments, in my opinion, is uh, for one, when you write UI code. I mean, it's quite hard to write test-driven UI code, in my experience. If I'm wrong, please, dear listener, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Another area is with test-driven developments. It, the mantra is a bit like, don't write any logic before you have implemented the test. So usually it's like red. So red means test failing, green, test passing, blue, refactor the code that it looks nice. And I, I see with people that are starting out with that practice, they tend to test a lot of interesting stuff. And by interesting, I mean stuff that you might not have to test. Thinking about my own past, I once tested if a property was properly set, and that's something that the .NET framework probably ensures that properties work the way you expect them. So that test was pretty much rubbish and a waste of time. So another way how you could write these test-driven development things is uh, behavior-driven development, where you go a bit more from a business perspective. So you say, this code has to conform to these specs or these features are requested by the user. And then you start to write tests that ensure that those behaviors work as expected in your code. Stephen, what are your experiences with test-driven? Neither of them have been things I've done. But that behavior-driven that you mentioned, is that also the one where you have to, like it's, it's more of a natural language type thing? where you just type out thing needs to do that and then through some sort of specific language constructs it, it tests through that or is that something different? Well, yes, no. I mean, I, I remember back in the day when I first stumbled over this behavior-driven development, I, I was developing a bit of Ruby and there the testing framework that was built up on it allowed you to write these sentences. But there is a, a testing framework out there called SpecFlow and that allows your business people to write tests in, in an English language. you got like these set of sentences uh, that you have to follow by. And then the developer, you, you could hand over that specification to the developer, and then he would have to fill in the blanks. And by filling the blanks, I mean, insert the test logic code. But when you get the test report at the end, the idea would be that the project manager or the requirements engineer could then see, ah, look, I've written these and these specifications. And now I have the test code that validates that this specification has been implemented. So I think it's a nice idea, but I personally have never seen it uh, implemented in, in reality, to be honest. Yeah, I have some experience with that, but yeah, it it still had a lot of you. You still needed to be a very technical person, basically, to make that work. And although it was somewhat implemented, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have removed it by now because I don't think it was all that great um, in the end. So, um, I mean, the idea is probably great, and maybe it has some nice use cases for some AI that can. Uh, filter out the intent and generate some uh, some some uh, tests that way talking about automated tests well that's what you mentioned there is is i actually got that question just today um where someone who was definitely not an, a developer wanted to test an app on a lot of devices and we didn't have ui tests yet so there is a need in in that regard for end users also to somehow be able to test especially on mobile of course because you have so many form factors to take into account so i i don't really know of a tool in an automated testing scenario that could do that for an end user 
where they would just basically record, I don't know, clicking things and just a, a path through an app and then play that back on, I don't know how many devices at will. I don't think that exists, but it... Uh, There was the Xamarin test recorder, right? Wasn't that supposed to do that? At some point, yeah. But that's still, in the end, just put out some code into a window that you copied into an actual coded test, I guess. So for an end user, that wasn't really very viable because they'd still be messing in the code base. I think there have been many approaches in this area of writing automated just test generators, especially for UI tests. Um, I think the less advanced ones, they just remember the X and Y coordinates and then they click somewhere, uh, which of course falls apart once you have different devices because they have different resolutions and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, with, with UI tests, I think with, as with any other code, I mean, once the code changes, once you got UI layout changes, um, you often have to re-record those tests that you did and they they are not really maintainable. So if you want to share steps and stuff like that, I think it gets very complicated quite quickly. So I can imagine that maintaining a tool like that uh, must be quite some effort. And for that, there is also like the difference between like web apps and more native apps, right? Before, uh, because like with the web apps, it's a little bit easier uh, because as long as you have agreed on some kind of structure uh, which makes your elements recognizable, um, you can you can do something that way. Um, and maybe I think that was also something that was kind of uh, tried with uh, the whole Xamarin stuff. Uh, where you just have your visual tree and uh, you should just have some identifiers that you're going to query, basically. So that takes away the thing with the X and Y coordinates. But yeah, there's there's so many challenges with frameworks like that and form factors and all kinds of other things that uh, really makes it, makes it hard to maintain that kind of tool. But uh, yeah, so I think the most popular form basically is still like the unit tests that can just be done in in code but uh, you know all types of tests have their limitations basically but speaking about testing or automated testing and unit testing what are your guys favorite testing frameworks for writing in in .net no nothing no recommendations for me oh mark you know all the best uh, frameworks already uh, <laughs> so i think the most the most obvious ones are like uh, n unit and x unit right uh, mm-hmm. at least that's like the the things that i've uh, actually mostly been using simply because is it actually from microsoft i don't know but you know i don't think so i think these are actually generally open source products that um were uh, written by the community the testing framework from microsoft is ms test oh right 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 so but you know it i think it's very much supported in in or well it's just maybe just good products maybe that's the the trick to it I never really know which one is which, but you have this one where you can basically very easily um, add the attributes on top of a method. And there you can say theory, I think. Um, and you can just specify different um, uh, different values for the parameters that need to go in. Um, and yeah. it makes it very easy to create different test scenarios for like the same um, test. So you don't have to you know, write a piece of code to actually um, invoke those tests, but you can just add new attributes. 
Um, there's probably people who who don't like the, the the look of those attributes on top of it, but um, it makes it very easy to just add a new test case by adding a new attribute, um, specifying different values for your parameters, and uh, boom, you have a new a new scenario in there. So so that's pretty cool. I like writing those tests, uh, those parameterized tests, when you got like certain edge cases. Um, I'll bring up again the date sample, like you got something that triggers after a certain while, you can then really easily say, okay, I now write this test and then I wait this and that long and then nothing should happen. And then I wait X amount longer after the trigger point has been there and then it should have triggered. And you can go like up to a millisecond or so and then really, yeah, be, be sure that the logic will trigger when that time has passed or when something else has happened, which might delay the trigger again, you can test those things really nicely with these parameters. Speaking about that, um, do you guys ever use some fuzzy logic testing? I don't know if I'm using the correct term here, but it's like you can, uh, there, there are testing frameworks out there that will analyze your code and just shoot all kind of garbage at it just to see if it will fall over. No, I haven't really actually used uh, something like that, but I know there are, uh, I think, yeah, there's. I looked at one library that does that kind of thing. So it basically just takes the, um, well, maybe it doesn't even look at it actually, but it, it looks at like the types it's expecting, right? And it will try all kinds of edge cases on that. So it will try like whenever you, maybe you just tested it with uh, whatever you do, um, like units of something, it, it only tests with, you only test with positive ones and it will start uh, uh, entering negative ones, uh, for instance, or just real edge cases with uh, also like decimals where you don't expect them or um, maybe even just throw in a string and see what that does basically. Um, so, you know, there's there's these kind of libraries that does that and um, uh, they will generate all these kinds of weird uh, test data for you is that that kind of what you mean mark exactly it's as small as that while you were speaking about all the scenarios one of those jokes came back into my mind like a, a test enters a bar so he orders one beer he orders int max ah, right, beer. right right yeah, orders, yeah. <laughs> no it's it's definitely uh, those those kind of testing strategies uh, that i uh, meant so that's the other thing with testing right because you know that's why uh, the, what if you work at a customer a lot of times you hear like oh in a kind of joking way like oh you don't need tests because you're a good developer right so you don't write bugs <laughs> uh, but the thing is that you develop like this blind spot right because you um, know what is expected to be input so you just um you just focus on a certain test suite um, in your in your mind and you enter a couple of uh, values and you know it it will always go right and then the minute you put it in the hands of a user that does something different they will come up with something that you were like okay yeah that that totally makes sense but i've never thought of that uh, so that's where these scenarios come in right so basically everyone other even if it's like your wife your mother your child i don't know um, give your application to to someone else and you will see that they will test it in a way that you didn't really do so that by itself is is like really really useful and i think because of that like the fuzzy logic or the the, the crowd testing or basically whatever you do as long as you do not provide the input yourself um is i think the most useful way of testing yeah monkey testing 
Go into a zoo, hand them over your mobile. <laughs> or yeah. that. I'd never get it back. Yeah. So I think we, we have now spoken quite a bit about testing and automated testing and different strategies. Um, I think I just wanted to leave one remark on that. For me, why, why I really like tests is because they can be really valuable in letting you write stable code. And what I mean by that is... Oftentimes, when I speak with people that haven't done uh, a lot of automated testing or only have read about it, they will always say, well, yeah, you know, that automated testing is uh, good for you and, and your area. But, you know, I, I got all these dependencies, and that's why I cannot write automated tests. And for me, I think those people, they, they really should try once test-driven development. And I know it will be a pain, and uh, you, you might not be as, as fast as you used to uh, writing code. But what it shows you when you write test-driven is you have to write your code in a certain way so that you inject your dependencies. So you, you really are forced to do that dependency inversion stuff. And by doing that, what you will then uh, be able to do is you'll be able to simulate uh, great parts of your code in, in isolation. And that means you can put your uh, code into certain conditions which uh, would be quite harmful or would would cost maybe even your company a lot of money like uh, if you have a, let's say um, a process that needs an oven and you then have to have that oven run at really high temperatures for the bug to occur that could cost real money and uh, maybe even blast out a bunch of co2 just so you can test your software manually and those are the are the areas where automated testing makes a lot of sense but you can't just sprinkle some automated testing over your system you have to engineer it in a way that allows you to to write those automated tests and that's why for me writing the code that way makes a lot of sense and it also helps me to ensure in the long run if my if my code is still valid and even in the 20th release of my software, I still have tests from the first release that will still check if the logic that I've implemented then under certain expectations are still working the, the, the way it should. And if that is no longer the case, I'll get an error. And it could be that the test is outdated by now, but it can also, and that's been quite often the case, a regression bug slipped in there, and thank God there was a test there. That said, dear Mark, you messed up again here. Yeah, so what are, what are your thoughts about this? Is, is automated testing worthy, or is it just something everybody aspires to, like uh, doing more health and fitness? Every year in New Year's, I tell myself, <laughs> this I'm going to write more, year. more tests. <laughs> Drink less, write more tests, yeah. Yeah, so if, like I said, for me, in the end, it typically becomes a budget thing. And and as much as I would like to and try to, and in at least the projects that I do on the side for myself, I always, like you said, I plan to do it. Um, I cannot really promise they'll ever get there. But it, it definitely has value. I mean, we've, we've talked the entire episode about it having value it, it just there's some stumbling blocks that i keep on running into yeah yeah and it's 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 kind of a nice uh comparison that you make there mark with like you know it's the same thing as go saying i'm going to go to the gym more um i'm going to write more tests but then in the end you'll find that you're not doing it and you know just being honest to myself thinking about it why don't i do it i i don't know i i know it's important i know it's the right thing to do uh, maybe it's just that I don't really seem to enjoy it. 
although I, you know, it's it's a satisfying feeling to see all the tests becoming green and um, doing a good job, not breaking anything. So I don't know. It's it's maybe we can do some kind of psychological study on this. What what people <laughs> are the holding back to to not do this? What kind of self destructing behavior? What is this? The psychological study of Gerald. Yeah. Yes. We, well, we might do a do session that. on that, Gerald, one day. Mm. <laughs> um, no, uh, I think I think you you bring all in very valid points and. Uh, I always think, yeah, at the end of the day, um, software provides a business case and tests should enable you or, or allow you to get there faster and cheaper. And they are tests that might not be worth writing right now. I think it's always good to test at least the happy path. And uh, if you get areas where you have to write super stable software and stuff like that, you will then automatically probably be forced to write more tests so you are sure that the test in any circumstance will react in a correct way. But yeah, that can be tricky. And I think that wraps up our episode on automated testing. We have been your hosts, Mark Hallibone, Stephen Davison, and Janos Flesh. So what are your thoughts on automated testing? Are you a big fan? Do you think it's all just a fad? Let us know on Twitter, at nullpointers.io. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Stay safe and until next week on Null Pointers. Bye.